0: Welcome to the BitBlockBoom podcast. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and the producer of the BitBlockBoom Bitcoin Conference. Just for reference, I also host the Crypto Cousins podcast, the Railroad podcast, and the 4-Minute Crypto Show. Now, you'll be able to find those podcasts wherever you're listening to this podcast, iTunes, Google, or wherever. Now, in August, I'll host another BitBlockBoom Bitcoin conference in Dallas, Texas, of course, with the help of my friends. If you have any interest in Bitcoin, you really need to visit BitBlockBoom.com and look at the great speaker lineup and all the events that are going on around BitBlockBoom. It's turning into kind of a week, so it's turning into the Bitcoin or BitBlockBoom week. And this is a Bitcoin conference, and I really do mean a true Bitcoin conference. We don't talk about altcoins or blockchain or anything. It's Bitcoin. And if you decide to come and you go to BitBlockBoom.com when buying your ticket, use the code word COUSINS. C-O-U-S-I-N-S, and that'll give you 30% off the price of this year's ticket. Now, on today's episode, I'm bringing you another session from the conference, of course, and this is the last session from the 2018 conference. This episode is a session from Mike Clear. If you were if you missed him in 2018 and you were there in 2019, you might have seen him working the uh, sound table over to the left of the stage. Today's session from Mike is titled, What Should You Know Before Buying an ASIC? And this was another great session from the conference, so I hope you enjoy listening.
1: So, I guess in addition to that, let's give uh, Gary and Tony a round of applause for putting all this together. (laughs) It's not every day we all get to hang out with like-minded folks, so... Um, I won't talk too much about myself. The only disclaimers or disclosures I have is that uh, I am a, what I call an enterprise hobbyist. So I don't sell my mining services. I have in the past and uh, I learned quickly that it's just like taking VC money. Suddenly you're, um, you're addicted. Opium is very addictive, other people's money. Um, and. The other factor is they're in charge. They're gonna tell you what to do and how to do it, and that doesn't really help if you're trying to consult. Uh, so I'll get into the, the ins and outs of mining. Um, when we think about it, and I, I believe some folks have already covered this, so I'll probably breeze through some of the initial slides pretty quickly. Uh, but what is mining? When, you know, what are we talking about? Well, basically, if you think about it like a really big, difficult math problem, uh, the miners or the computers that as, as was stated before, are sitting in warehouses, doing all this work for us, are solving those problems. And when they solve the problems, we get um, the answers, hopefully, if we're right, we get the answers to the next block, and we get rewarded for that activity. Um, a lot of the time, we're just paying for electricity, and the machines are operating in the background, and we don't always win. Uh, which boils into other activities that have come up over time, like pooling your resources, they call them mining pools. Uh, used to be able to solo mine, as, as Mark Risen mentioned before, now we have to pool up our resources unless we're the biggest, baddest players, and then we can still go at it alone. Um, but basically, what it boils down to is, every time you solve a block, or your pool solves a block, uh, you're gonna get rewarded for it. And, those coins are now originated into the market and part of the overall exchange, of which, in the sense of Bitcoin, there'll only ever be uh, 21 million of them. Uh, again, this is a little bit deeper into mining, and I've given this, this lecture, lecture before to groups that aren't crypto-centric or maybe uh, Bitcoin maximalists, so I think I might be preaching to the choir with some of this, but uh, it boils down to proof of work as a fundamental construct of the blockchain that allows us to Do a really hard one-way equation that can easily be proven after the fact And if we can all agree on that we have a trustless environment, right? So uh, that's what we're doing with Bitcoin miners and with a lot of the other ASIC miners out there Uh, And I guess one thing I glossed over aside from my disclosures is that the main topic I want to talk about today is if you wanted to get into mining and you wanted to try it What should you know before you do that? So you don't go waste your money, find out it wasn't for you, and or uh, if you wanna get into it at scale, how do you know how big to go uh, without really messing up? So just quick show of hands, how many folks here have some sort of miner at home or are running commercially? Okay, so some folks, and if you're not now, how many of you have tried it in the past? Because this has been going on for far longer than I've been doing it. Good, okay, perfect. So what I like to talk about, First, and this is one slide that I added after I took money from other people, because there were some things I learned about other folks' intestinal fortitude compared to mine and their willingness to do stuff. So the first thing I like to do is know for sure that the person that I'm working with, or in your case, if you wanted to do this on your own, that you can run a full node. And you don't have to maintain it because that's getting more and more difficult, but if you haven't set one up or you haven't tried it, geek out with some friends, get it together and do that because that's a good starting point. It also gets you a good education as to what you're doing and whether or not you should move forward. Um, I tell people to match their hardware acquisition with their current Bitcoin holdings. So if someone came to me and said, I wanna buy six Antminer S9s, that's a pretty standard miner on the market. Well, that today would cost you about $6,000. So I'd say before you do that, you should have one Bitcoin in gold storage and you should not spend that one Bitcoin to buy the miners. Instead, you should capitalize them with outside dollars. That way you have a line in the sand or an initial starting point that you can compare what you mine moving forward to what you already have in in hand and then evaluate over time if it was worthwhile to do it. Um, I'd say scale your initial investment to 5% or less of your net worth. Uh, That's just a general use case that I think a lot of us have heard or that we give advice to other people. Don't go in with half of what you own because you're gonna really regret it. It's not gonna end up well, um, if things go south in any, um, in any sense. So, um, you know, basically, if you own a Bitcoin and you want 10 S9s, so you've got some money on your hands, so you're worth a quarter of a million dollars. So if you wanna just start with one of these things, that's probably a better entry point. Um, also, I tell people to take Bitcoin as their, um, their unit of account. So the way to think about that is Bitcoin has been up to almost 20,000 and now it's back down to 6,000. And if you measured your return on investment from a miner that you bought last November for $6,000 and you were looking at what you get today in dollars for coins mined, you could easily get, again, that intestinal fortitude issue. So think about this in the context of how many Bitcoins did I spend to acquire this equipment? How many Bitcoins a month does my electricity cost? How many bitcoins does my rent cost? And use that as a method um, before you get into the real prerequisites, which are, are you gonna do this for fun or is this gonna be a business endeavor? Um, Where are you gonna get your power from? Because if you have to sacrifice your home air conditioner, your hot tub, or anything else that your wife likes, it ain't gonna work. Um, And then, you know, how are you gonna manage them? So there's software on the market. If you plan on having more than one miner, you should think about the applications you wanna use. Uh, you have options. I tend to hear more towards ASIC miners because they're like the infomercials say, you set it and forget it. Um, not exactly, but GPU miners, if you build your own rig, which I've got experience with as well, take a lot more maintenance, and there's a lot more uh, tinkering that has to be done. And then again, uh, solo pool, are you gonna be in a pool? Are you gonna multi-mine? Uh, those are all things to consider before you get started. Uh, so. Whether you're gonna do your hobby or your business, uh, you have to think about taxes. I don't give anybody advice on that because just like uh, Ray said about this being a watering hole for folks who might wanna steal stuff, there's always a tax person at these events too. So just never uh, give anyone advice on on something that you don't fully know about or aren't certified on. But it's something to think about, talk to your professionals about it. and then. Consider how much time you're going to take, how it's, how you're going to monitor the stuff. Are you going to do it in a home or an office environment? I started it at a home, and I progressed to a warehouse because a happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Electricity is another thing, and I learned the hard way uh, in Arizona, which is not the most advisable place to Bitcoin mine. That keeping your equipment cool is expensive, and you can't just keep buying air conditioners until it gets cold because eventually your power service will catch on fire. So. Um, you can learn a lot by doing what I did and just burning out a main service line to your house, or you can have an electrician come in and tell you what you really can do with your with your service. Now, I did all the calculations properly, but I didn't realize that my service line that was rated at 200 according to the box and according to everything on it was actually a 160 meter head, and all the wiring was from 1950. So somebody did some fun work before they sold the house to make it look to code and it wasn't. Um, The other big trick is ASIC miners, particularly Bitcoin miners, if you wanna mine Bitcoin, really do require 240 volt. You can buy 220 volt uh, power supplies and sort of rig it to work. But the problem with that is that you build a little bit of a power differential between your power supplies. And then what happens is eventually they have to equalize and it looks just like lightning striking i've been in the room when one of my miners did that when i was first starting big flash lots of smoke and then you're at the time six thousand dollar bitcoin miner is just toast so don't follow a blog or a wiki on how to make it work with traditional outlets in your house do it right and um and you'll be happy uh, oh, and if you have solar, this is actually something to consider. If you have a couple megawatts of solar, we should talk, because I'd i like to be your friend. But uh, solar is an interesting thing. I actually got into the space of mining while I was working for uh, an energy company here in Texas called uh, Reliant NRG, um, and we sold solar. I was on the innovations team, and actually the, the tipping point for me with being interested in mining was that A lot of the folks back and forth in our innovations team were complaining about how we had made some really interesting energy programs that were intended to sell people more electricity than we knew they would ever use, uh, just as a knee-jerk reaction. You know, if you had an expensive energy bill, you buy this plan and you'll never have that happen again. And sure enough, that was when Bitcoin mining started to become popular with ASICs and people were mining the crap out of that cheap electricity. And the energy company was wondering what the heck happened? We thought they'd never use all this and they're doing it. So that was one of the things that sort of culminated for me along with um, solar because when I evaluated solar for my house in Arizona, it seemed like a good idea. It's hot, it's sunny there, everything works. The problem is that if you can't use all the electricity you generate and you have to sell it back to the utility, they do not pay you what you're charged for your electricity. However, if you can use it all, it will pay for itself a heck of a lot faster. And you're not, it's not like a a vehicle where you say, well, if I use it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'll get my money's worth. Well, that's not true because if you're driving your car 24/7, it's gonna wear out a lot faster. Solar is working whenever the sun's shining. So if you have solar on your house already, odds are you probably can't power more than but one S9. But think about it, if you had one miner just as a hobbyist, and every time the sun was shining, you weren't paying for electricity, you've just reduced your cost by half to mine Bitcoin, which is a really interesting proposition for anybody who um, does this as a business. (coughs) Software, Uh, I got into software, actually it was turned on to some of of these apps by uh, Gibby and Tony, but I used Awesome Miner to start. I still dabble with Awesome Miner on the sidelines, The reason I like that application is that you can use it both for ASIC mining and for GPUs, and it's got some really nice configuration capabilities where you can take multiple pools and at any given time, point your equipment at the pool that makes the most sense for you to make money. Uh, And you can also create rules, so it'll do that automatically behind the scenes. Now, the advice I have for you is don't try and get smart and fancy and say, I'm gonna mine everything and let the software do it for me, because if you are a master of all pools, you will not make money. Jumping around actually can cost you. Um, that all said, my ultimate outcome was develop, to work with someone and develop my own software, um, and there's a number of reasons for that, one of which I'll cover in, a, in another slide. Um, next step is choosing your hardware. I suggest doing both if you're a hobbyist. Start with a GPU machine. If you have ever built a computer for before, it's not that hard. Um, and that gives you a lot of experience in what I would call easier to mine coins. There's a lot more options. Um, When you buy an ASIC, what you're buying is an application-specific integrated circuit, meaning it only does one thing. It's gonna do, I I put the the algorithms next to the common coins or what I call the banner coins on this page. What I would also say is while I do mine a lot of these things, if it's not Bitcoin, it's a rhymes with spit coin, right, so it's, (laughs) probably not worth mining and hodling, hodling forever. It's more likely worth mining, immediately selling and getting out. This is yet another thing I ran into with the guys who were investing in my mining facility as they wanted to keep every coin the way they mined it. And I advised against that and I, I ended up being right and they're frustrated with me for it. So moving forward, if someone asks me to do that, I just use my same philosophy of, okay, if you mined one Bitcoin, worth of Litecoin, I'll let you keep 5% of it in Litecoin. That way, if there's ever a win the lottery moment, you're still vested. But let's just get it all into Bitcoin because that's the coin that matters. Um, Everyone has their own opinion on this when I say that. Bitcoins are the thing and anything else is. I'm not saying it because there's some kids in the room, but you get the the idea. Um, Everything else is not a Bitcoin, it's a fill in the blank coin. People don't like that, but it's historically held true for me. Uh, at least with mining. Uh, So Bitmain is known for being really controversial. Anyone in the room, show of hands, hate Bitmain? Yeah, a couple people hate them, right? So that means they must be doing something right. Uh, But effectively, they're they're known for all sorts of different algorithms. Canon's probably, in my opinion, the best miner on the market. Uh, That said, they're a little bit more expensive, so it's sort of hard to make that decision, especially if you're going in entry level. Um, So what I suggest is diversify every way you can. If you're gonna mine more than one coin, I'd start with Bitcoin, but then have an equal proportion to whatever else you intend to get into. Don't ever put all your eggs in one basket. Currently, my strategy is to take all my S9s, which are Bitmain miners, and slowly replace one of them so I have an S9 and a Kanan side by side. That way, if, if Bitmain has a magic button somewhere they can push to kill all of our equipment, I'll be hedged and I'll still have Canon equipment running. Um, This is their website. If you wanna buy a Bitmain S9, don't go on Twitter and just follow a link that says send me Bitcoins and I'll send you a miner because it's not real. It's just like all those other fake things on Twitter. That said, you can buy them in other places. I actually sell my miners, uh, typically between nine and 12 months of age because uh, I've learned that if you let the market drive that, you can actually make more money by also trading the equipment. Uh, that said, I do it in good faith, I sell equipment that works, there's a lot of people out there that just want to sell you something that looks like a working miner that doesn't work, so be careful of that. Um, point, of, point of interest though is that I bought my first two Bitcoin miners in this town uh, two and a half years ago, so just happened to be traveling for work, so I'm on Craigslist, that's what got me into, into mining. Um, so just keep in mind, that if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Another fun fact, I asked who hates Bitmain before, just show of hands, how many people have Bitmain miners or have had them? So a couple of folks again. The fun thing about Bitmain that you might not know, and there was a big scandal with them called Antbleed a while back. It was similar to the Heartbleed crisis that um, basically there was a turn off feature within their equipment that, that Bitmain could shut off miners. Um, that was seen as a threat to the overall marketing and mining community. Bitmain does do something that a lot of people aren't aware of, which is when their machines start up for anywhere between 3 and 15 minutes of the time that the machine is actually testing itself, it had its, it's basically a burn-in period to make sure that it's working and if everything goes okay, it starts mining. Well, all of those tasks occur on Bitmain server in their name. So when you turn on a Bitmain machine and you fire it up to start mining for yourself, anywhere between the first 3 and 15 minutes, which It's variable depending on how good your internet connection is, the temperature of the machine, and how quickly it goes online. You're actually mining on Bitmain's behalf uh, for their profit. Now, Ray gave a, a little bit of information earlier about how people can mess around with you on proxies. This is the reason I developed my own software for mining, is I just use some proxies, and when the miner thinks it's mining for Bitmain, it's actually mining for me. So I get every ounce of mining capability out of my Bitmain miners, That said, it was a lot of effort for the return. It probably hasn't paid for itself yet. The reason that I think this is important for everyone to know about though, whether you plan to mine or not, is Bitmain is a threat of 51% attacks on the Bitcoin network, particularly because they have a history of having backdoor code where they could reset all of their miners simultaneously. And if they did that globally, they would get potentially up to 15 minutes of mining capacity of every miner they've ever produced that's currently on in the market. And if you think about that, considering it only takes 10 minutes to mine um, one block on the, on the Bitcoin blockchain, they have enough capacity out there that they don't even own, that if someone was thinking about doing that, whether it was them or a malicious actor, uh, a 51% attack is possible. Uh, that's yet another reason why I highly support these guys. Uh, I know the owners of a group out in Arizona called BlockForge. They're a place that you can buy that's US-based if you wanted to buy a, a miner and some of their hardware from them, and if you wanna buy it 60 at a time, you can go straight to Canaan, and they'll send you pallets of them. Uh, but they don't do one-offs like Bitmain does. Uh, how long do they last? Uh, like I said before, I like to sell mine between nine and 12 months. The reason I do that is twofold: One, there's a marketable resale rate, and two, uh, is that I don't wanna be holding them when they die. And generally speaking, if you read online, people say they die within a year to the date. I believe those people are running them in Texas outside. Uh, but that said, I've had miners die a month old and I've had miners die any time along the process. They all have a six month warranty. So if you're willing to suffer the downtime while you send it back to China, they'll fix them for you. And Canaan actually has an offer now where if you have a down miner and you've bought from them, they'll just replace it up front, uh, I think it's, it's based on a quantity purchase, but every miner you have, you don't have to wait for it to get fixed now, you just have to wait for it to get shipped to you, uh, which is a nice, uh, nice feature considering they cost a little bit more. How much will you make? I have absolutely no idea. Uh, not because uh, I, don't, I don't like to model it, I have data models on it all over my computer and I run spreadsheets and uh, spend a lot of time on this, But the challenges are obviously that Bitcoin is very volatile um, and if you started buying your equipment in November last year, you'd be hating me right now, especially if I told you to do that because the miners that currently sell for $600 were selling at a spot price of $6,000 and the, the returns don't equate to what you would have paid for them. That said, if you believe that Bitcoin is going to go somewhere, which I think a lot of us in this room believe otherwise you wouldn't have sat through an entire day and still be here listening to me. Um, It makes sense to participate for three reasons. And the three reasons that I believe uh, that I mine, even on the worst days, when I realize that I might be losing money, is number one, you're participating in a decentralized network. And I think that's critically important. If you just want to own Bitcoin, that's cool. But if you believe in the Bitcoin network, you should be participating on every front that you can. And if you're not a developer, this is a place where you can still participate um, and make the network stronger. Uh, The second reason is, like I said before, you can trade the asset of your miner just as well as you can trade the coin. So why not have a little bit of a diversified strategy where the machine that you can later sell for cash is also mining you Bitcoin. The reason that that has a nice implication is because if I buy a computer and I sell a computer, I do that generally in dollars, and effectively that doesn't get me in weird tax implications that are tied to, say, Bitcoin when you move around your Bitcoin and do stuff with it transactionally, there are implications that you can avoid by having this asset that should have some level of appreciation or depreciation. And then the third reason is I think if you wanna be involved in this, you need to understand it. And part of understanding this model and and, uh, how it works, aside from maybe just hiring a stockbroker to do everything for you, is you need to participate. Uh, So hopefully that that helps a little and resonates. This is a little bit of my mining timeline. So on the bottom left, I have my first uh, GPU. Um, like, I, like Tony said, I bought one of their Ethan miners because it just was a lot prettier than what I managed to build. Um, and it's, it's so nice and quiet that you don't have to have it um, hidden away where it, it, it's a little oven uh, otherwise. Um, those are my first four S9s on the upper left. That was the, the location I had them in when my house almost caught fire. Uh, in Arizona, and then when I finally went commercial, I sort of went half ass commercial, and the reason for that was I couldn't afford the racks, because I put all my money into equipment. So I built my own racks, uh, which had air intake filters, as well as um, 30,000 CFM outputs, so they could could heat in in the space that they're in. They heat a 22,000 square foot warehouse, never have to turn the heat on in there, and in the summertime, we just have to evacuate as much air as possible. Since I've gotten a little bit more involved in, uh, like I said before, doing this for others, I had to make it look prettier. So we designed, uh, I don't want to take credit for that, one of my partners designed a rack that we actually manufacture in the US. They're available on Amazon. Uh, If you want one of these, you can just go on Amazon and search Bitmain or um, Bitcoin mining rack, uh, and you'll see that uh, piece of equipment. It's nice, it works for most of the uh, S9 form-factor equipment, so anything that looks like an S9 miner, and it fits in a traditional Rack, so you can rack-mount your miners and have a nice hot cold aisle setup. Cool. Any questions? Yeah, yeah so isn't BitLane more the Bitcoin cash
0: these days though? Aren't they kind of in that camp?
1: They are, um, at least politically, but it's the same algorithm, so um, while they own or are participating in the Bitcoin.com and Um, try to steer people towards putting their resources into the Bitcoin cash mining uh, realm, you don't have to do what what they tell you to do. So um, it is another reason maybe not to like them uh, in that I believe they're part of manipulating, uh, steering folks towards Bcash. One of the clear things that they did since I started, when I first started, you could buy with them on using dollars or Bitcoin. Now you can only buy from them using Bcash. Um, and that's, I think, the only commercial effort globally to drive up the transaction volume on the Bcash network is Bitmain sales. Um, but to answer your question, yes, they, they're they involved. The thing that's straight out of a James Bond movie is that China decided to nationalize them.
0: They could take control of a pretty good chunk. Actually, yeah,
1: which is why in the last 30 days they moved all of their mining uh, HQ to the U.S. So they're... They've got a weird diversified strategy now where they have Bitmain US and Bitmain China. Um, and part of their problem is that they're being asked to move a lot of the stuff out of China, which I think is totally stupid from the Chinese perspective. They could own this space. Um, and they still could if they nationalized, given where Bitmain is and the fact that they're manufacturing over there. Uh, but the owners and the operators, I believe, are have keen awareness that national, you know, if they get nationalized, it would potentially hurt them. The global network, but more so, would hurt them financially. So Sorry. they're just diversifying to prevent communism from hurting them, or whatever we want to call the, the Chinese setup over there. Um, but that said, I think that every government, China or the United States, is is going to feel threatened by this, and China's just um, reacted more viscerally than anyone else so far. Uh, we'll see how how it pans out when you know groups like this or, or 10,000 people meeting to talk about it uh, because the government right now is just more preoccupied with, with the big criminals that are that are getting us i.e. corporations or, or other players out there. But Bitcoin, I think, is gonna become a clear and present danger for them and we'll see some reactions accordingly. Any other questions? Go ahead. Do you have
0: an
1: ethics strategy? And also, what do you think of PLF? Um So, I, I didn't... Re- repeat Ray's question, but I'll do it. Do I have an exit strategy and what do I think of POS? I guess my exit strategy historically has just played itself out. So one of the things that I, like I said, I I do is I sell my miners as I use them. And so a lot of folks would say, well that doesn't really constitute an exit strategy, but the way it's panned out for me is because of market volatility (coughs) and because as soon as I receive a miner and put it into commission, I list it for sale. my miners have typically sold before I've tried to get rid of them and so my current flow is that I'll keep a miner for anywhere between 90 and 120 days and then I'll actually get ejected out of it because the marketplace will drive a sale to me that, that typically equates to I get rid of a miner that I've been actively using and I can turn around and buy two more um, and the only limit that I have that's prevented me from getting greedy in that space is power so um for me to capitalize more power, I need to come up with about three quarters of a million dollars to convince the utility to work with me the way I want to, and I just don't have the scale to do that, nor do I want to do it with someone else's money. So my size and, and scope has has left me pretty flexible. Uh, I'd say if that hadn't happened, I would just probably mine until either the equipment stopped working or until I got tired of it, which I think is what happened to most people who started with the original. Bitmain equipment, some of the hands that went up in this room probably bought an S7 or an earlier miner, and as soon as either their wife was like, it's so hot in here, we gotta quit doing this, or it broke, they were like, well, I did that, I'm done. But I, I, oddly enough, found a way to perpetuate it that that works out. So one of the allegations against um, Butterfly Labs, when one of the very earliest miners who came out with selling machines to the public was that they were mining, uh, and then selling used machines. And I've heard that recently again, an allegation I think against Bitmain. Is that something that you've ever seen evidence of, that the machines you receive are not very new? I've only seen it in the case of refurbished equipment from Bitmain, Um, and in that case, it's oftentimes, I believe, equipment that was used, sent back, and repurposed to be repaired and sent to me. Um, However, I do believe that all of the mining companies uh, pre-mine and part of that is just a bench test and a burn-in uh, because you need to run the machines for a good period of time under load to know that they're going to work properly just like when you buy a new Dell computer it's it's been run but um, yeah I think that the way that you can actually and the evidence that I have hasn't come from being like wow those fans are dusty because they're pretty good about sending you really nice clean equipment I think they have facilities to clean it before they send it But the way that you can really tell that's happening, and this is how I try to predict the next generation of Bitmain equipment, is by looking at global hash power. If suddenly global hash power for a real coin, you know, there's these Z miners now that are out, and that's a harder thing to measure because you're talking about uh, Zcash, and the history as well as the global mining capacity could be doubled, and that could just be someone who really wanted to play. Um, But I guess when Bitcoin's global hash rate climbs at an exponential rate, that's usually an indication that a hardware provider is doing something and they're probably pre-mining on their newest hardware. Um, But all of the main equipment that comes out, it comes out in different generations. There's a 14 and a 13.5 terahash S9. It's my belief that they are selling through as many of the 13.5 terahash miners as they can right now because they're gearing up to build a 20 plus terahash piece of equipment. Um, I don't have solid evidence on it, aside from the modeling that I've done. There's some weird things happening with hash rates um, that given the decline in the price of coin, they shouldn't be going up. Difficulty should be dropping, um, at least if economics and um, interests play out. Question? So the question was could the drops, or the um, lack of a drop in uh, difficulty relative to the price of Bitcoin be representative of people that just Really care about the network and don't care about rewards, and I'd say the answer is no. Um, the only factor that I could, and I I paraphrase what you said, so I apologize if, I, if it sounds like it took it out of context, but I think that any any person, hobbyist or business, unless truly motivated by you know animal spirits, um, is is uh, otherwise you know driven to do something. It's either because there's a gun to their head or they're going to get paid. Um, If if mining were to cost me uh, any more than I could potentially make from it, I wouldn't do it. So I don't believe others would either. I think the only other factor that you could attribute to it is that at the cheapest that I buy electricity, it's a little under four cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, And there's places in the world where people steal it. And there's places in the world where it costs about two cents a kilowatt hour. And if you factor that in, that could account for some of it. But I just I think that there's a new set of hardware that's, that's on the horizon. Any
0: other questions? Yeah, speaking of uh, hardware, how do you see the landscape in the next uh, couple of years? I know that GMO Group in Japan is uh, developing their own chip. Uh, Samsung uh, is also developing uh, new technology, uh, specialized uh, mining uh, chips. Uh, NVIDIA has also uh, considered uh,
1: developing uh, GPUs for mining. So how do you see the landscape in terms of
0: hardware in the next couple of years?
1: I think there's gonna be some interesting things in terms of hardware. I don't know that Moore's Law is gonna to apply to the sense of it's gonna keep getting cheaper and better just because there's there's a lot of interest at play outside of um, dual purpose. And that all of the companies that you mentioned, with the, with the exception of the first one, um, they're all trying to build equipment that they can sell two ways, right? I wanna to sell to the miner and I wanna to sell to the gamer. Or, you know, figure out whatever it is. I, I think the other, logical application if you're building um, ASIC miners, is to try to play into the artificial intelligence markets. Uh, so I do see the landscape changing. Unfortunately, uh, not fast enough. I think that Bitmain's got a pretty good stronghold on the market, and that that's what keeps me up at night, uh, which is why I do make a solid effort to diversify as best I can, but again, I, I admitted to it in my own presentation that, you know, the cost is a, is a huge motivator in what you should buy. Um, and I think that the most recent strategy that's interesting from Bitmain in particular is that if you started doing this a couple years back, they only sold one piece of equipment. Now if you go on Bitmain's website, there's nine different miners that you can buy at any given time. Some of them are out of stock. But I think one of the reasons they did that was not so much because they can make a killing, pre-mining coin, but instead it distracts the user from potentially shifting and buying something else because they can burn up your resources on S-Coins before you turn back and buy more uh, Bitcoin mining equipment. So I'd love to see a competitive player come in with hardware that rivals Bitmain's equipment. The the closest I've seen so far is Kanan, but also has a rival price. And that's gonna be really hard to do. Uh, One other thing I'll mention, and I said this before of, of allocating your capital properly when you buy these is, you know, if you wanted to buy six S9s, you should have a Bitcoin in, in your wallet, right? Because they cost $600 right now, so 10 of them would be 6,000, Bitcoin's roughly 6,000. Um, when you mine to, to make money, don't turn around and take those coins and buy equipment with them. Because generally speaking, there's corrections that happen in the market when people buy and sell equipment, and six, nine months later, that coin will likely be worth a lot more than it would have been. Instead, if you want a perpetual return machine, sell that miner and then recapitalize with outside dollars. Uh, Just like there was a talk today about everybody's a scammer, um, one of the reasons that I think Bitmain does so well is that they convince us to mine really profitably and then they convince us to do it again and again and again and we never get out uh, the upside. So if you can, if you want to keep going with your mining operation that's great just don't forfeit your coins before they've appreciated particularly bitcoin i don't i, I see zero reason to part with a bitcoin um probably in in my lifetime uh, aside from someone forces you to pay with it so you take your dollars you convert them to bitcoin and you buy it just like if i go to switzerland i have to buy francs to uh, to participate but don't take your your hard-earned bitcoins and spend them it's of, of my early experience, if I go back and run the math, um, it was stupid to do that. And that's, that's been a hard-learned lesson for me looking back. Thank you guys very much. If you have any
0: questions, just come kind of- Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to find out more about Mike, I've recorded an interview with him on the Crypto Cousins podcast. You may want to listen to that interview. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing or share the BitBlockBoom podcast with your friends. It'd be great if you'd give the show a five-star review on iTunes or whatever app you're using to listen. On the next episode of the BitBlockBoom podcast, we'll be starting out with the 2019 event. And the first speaker at 2019 was Seyfedine Amoose. So that'll be the next episode if you want to catch that. It's going to be another great episode. Thanks for listening to BitBlockBoom podcast. And this is Gary Leland saying thanks again.